Hey, this is Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Hey guys, as you're listening to the show, why don't you pop on over to my brand new shiny website, AndrewGerza.com. It's not quite ready, but if you head over there right now, you can sign up to be one of the first to find out what I'm doing around sex and disability. Stay tuned, guys. My name's Andrew Gerza, and I will be your scintillating sexy host as we light up the conversation on sex and disability like never before, right here on Disability After Dark. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I am so excited that you're back here to talk about sex and disability and that you want to shine a bright light with me on the topic. I am really, really excited to say that the first three episodes of Disability After Dark have made it to the top 100 sex podcasts on iTunes, which is just freaking awesome. That means, and why that's so important for us and for me, is that this means that you guys want to have these conversations. It means this conversation is sorely overdue and sorely underrepresented, so I'm really, really pleased and excited to share that news. Please keep listening and please keep spreading the conversation. It's not about likes or favorites for me or any of that notoriety, which is nice. It's about creating a conversation around sex and disability and allowing it to be put in popular culture. And so what I love about this show and this platform is that I get to share my experiences of sex and disability with you guys quite openly and have a conversation around sex and disability like never before. And like you know, my goal is to go deep in the conversation of sex and disability and shine a light where nobody wants to, and I want to shine that light. So let's let's do that together today on the show. For the show today, I want to talk about my relationship with the personal support work or home care health care system where I am dealing with attending care workers. And I want to talk about my experiences trying to be a sexual being, not with them, but trying to be a sexual being around caregivers. And I want to kind of share my experiences and the emotionalities that I faced trying to come out to caregivers. And I'm, I'm a queer person, and I can talk a little bit about that as well, uh, coming out to care and what that felt like. But I want to talk about coming out in a much broader sense than that, not so much in the sexual orientation way, but in the way we look at coming out as sexual beings as disabled people. And I want to share some experiences that I've had recently coming out and how I navigate coming out in the care system. One of the things that you guys should know about me and my level of disability is that I've had care most of my life. Ever since I was a young kid, I had nannies and caregivers doing the majority of my personal support needs, helping me with the bathroom, helping me with the shower, helping me with toileting, um, helping me get dressed, sometimes helping me eat food. Um, whatever I needed, I had somebody there to assist me to to do that. And I um, 
that was just became a part of my routine as somebody living with cerebral palsy and using a wheelchair. I needed, I needed a lot of help in my daily life. And you sort of just realize that that's something you need and you sort of just move on. You don't let it bother you. It's not something that ever bothered me. It's something that I very quickly understood was part of my experience and I couldn't change it and I shouldn't try to change it and uh, I shouldn't worry and I just let it be and I, I let people uh, take care of me. And so that's something that I've always um, had and I've, I've always thought I knew how to navigate the discussions around uh, my needs and what I needed. Um, but as I got older, I found that to be somewhat difficult and I want to share with you now how I felt about that. When I turned 16, my family and I went to an agency to get care that was outsourced for me. So we had somebody come in three times a week to shower me, dress me, feed me dinner, and put me to bed. It was an important part of my, my family dynamic to have this care because when you're taking care of somebody who has disabilities like mine 24-7 and doing all the heavy lifting, quite literally, it can be quite taxing on the family dynamic and they got tired and quite frankly so did I. So I needed some new stimulation to uh, and I needed somebody new to talk to and I wanted you know I wanted some I wanted to, we all needed this we, I needed different care so my we went to this agency and they sent over the first worker and the first worker was this young guy he must have been 19 20 and he came over and we did the care and I know how care works so I was ready for all of what I needed to have done I knew what I needed and I was following my mom's direction and telling them what to do and I was doing all that stuff and I remember that when this guy touched me I was so uncomfortable all of a sudden the whole idea of having care from this guy was completely painstakingly uncomfortable and it wasn't because he was doing anything wrong he was doing his job completely the right way but I just thought oh no this guy can't touch me this feels weird and it wasn't weird in a bad way it was just strange because Whenever this guy touched me, I got aroused and I got excited because I was like, oh, this guy's touching me and it's care. And I was remembering that I had to have a boundary, but I was 16 and hormonal. So when somebody touches you like that, sometimes you get hard. And I got hard a bunch of times and I didn't say anything because I understood the boundary, but I did feel super uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, this thing that I've been doing most of my life became the most awkward thing ever because I didn't want to alienate the guy and let him know that I was actually gay and so... I didn't know how to navigate that. And I remember that I eventually did tell him that I was gay and we ended up being friends and it was fine. But I was so, so uncomfortable around him touching my body and I had never felt that way before because care, honestly, quite honestly, care had become second nature for me. So I'd never felt like somebody couldn't touch my body to take care of me. And so when he did and I got aroused, I felt very, very uncomfortable and very, very unsure of how to navigate this with him. I mean, think about it. You're there with somebody that you're kind of attracted to and it is their job to touch your balls. I mean, it was a very weird kind of thing that was really coinciding with me coming out of my puberty and I wasn't sure how to, to, you know, growing up in adolescence, I wasn't sure how to navigate all those feelings, especially at the time. I had nobody really to talk to about not only being queer, but also hey, this really good-looking dude is touching my body and I don't know what to do about it and it's making me uncomfortable. Not because, again, not because he was doing anything wrong, he was doing his job totally the right way, but I was having emotions because 
I didn't know how to navigate that. I mean, what would you guys do in that situation? I remember quite clearly that that situation taught me that I had to I had to create a boundary around my sexuality and who I was when it came to care, which I thought was an important part of the of it at the time. I was very protective of my sexuality and I didn't want to really share that with the world. I was ashamed. There may have been some gay shame happening around all that, but I thought I don't want to involve my care attendants with my personal sex stuff or, or discuss that with them ever. And I never wanted to share it. And it was something that I, that I never did. I made sure to immediately set the boundary and never, ever cross it after that experience. When I moved away from home, I went away to university for 10 years. In university, it was a little bit different because the care was your peers. So you could talk about sex and talk about relationships and talk about all that stuff kind of more openly. But then when I moved into the community, everything changed a bit. I, again, didn't want to share that part of my life with the attendants. I wanted to covet that. That was mine. Nobody could have it, and I wasn't going to share them, share it with them. And I was also afraid of how they would react uh, when I, if I did tell them the truth. I was afraid of what the care would be like. Many of these individuals who provide care are coming from backgrounds that are highly religious and against homosexuality and against all those things and against people with disabilities being sexual and against, they have a very particular view of how disability is meant to be. And so I was very, I remember I would have encounters and I would have people over and I would mess around and I would, there would always be this sense of shame when I called the attendant either before to set me up or after because I didn't know how they would react and I didn't want my sexuality to to impede their job, and there was a really weird sense of this is wrong, even though nothing about it was wrong. It was a really weird feeling that this, me being sexual in front of my caregivers or or needing them to assist with sexuality in some way was very wrong and not okay. I remember this one time that I had met this guy on Grinder, and it was about, he was, we met around 11.30 and we talked, actually it was Craigslist, because I'm a classy like that, um, we met on Craigslist and it was like 11.30 and I lived out in the suburbs at the time and we talked and kind of hit it off and we Skyped for about an hour before we hooked up because I have a rule where I Skype with dudes before we do anything to make sure the safety, blah, 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 or to feel, you know, relatively comfortable around the guy. So he was like, all right, well, I can be there in an hour and a half. And I was like, okay, well, cool. But my bed booking wasn't like... 20 minutes after that, and I was very, very concerned that the attendant would want to put me to bed because their mandate is to put, you know, when it's bedtime, you go to bed because then they have to, after midnight, there's only usually one person on, so they're running around after a bunch of different people, so the more they can get you to bed, the better, um, and, and, and there was a whole bunch of reasons why I couldn't go to bed because my buzzer didn't work through my cell phone, and had the guy buzzed up and I was in bed, I couldn't let him in. There was a whole bunch of disability reasons why I had to be up in my chair. But when the attendant came to my room and asked me, like, okay, so it's time to go to bed, go to bed, let, let me put you to bed, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. And I could have just said, and I should have, and I remember this so clearly, I should have just said, I'm having somebody over, could you, could I call you later? That's the right thing to do. But as this person 
was saying this to me, was telling me to go to bed, this fear just came over me, and I didn't want her to know that I was having a guy over. I didn't want to tell her at all. It was my own personal thing, and I was very scared that if I told her that, that she would somehow think less of me. I was very concerned that she would somehow think less of me, that she would think I was gross, that she would think I was dirty. And it was really weird because this these feelings surfaced again, and I'll share that story in a minute, where they came again, but this feeling of complete shame came right over me, and I didn't know what to do, and I just said, I stuttered, and I went, uh, well, actually, I need to stay in my chair because I'm not feeling so good right now, and I need, I need to stay in my chair because I have a headache, or I have a stomachache or something, and I just, you know, I made up the biggest, stupidest lie, but I felt that that was somehow a way to protect myself from her finding out that I had sex. And instances like that would happen to me and continue even now to happen sometimes when it comes to sex and sexuality. I don't think about... The the first person that I don't think about when it comes to sex and sexuality isn't usually myself. I usually am worried about my partner or I start to worry then how my having a sex life will affect my attendant care and how my having a sex life will affect them, and how my going to bed an extra hour, a couple hours later, or not calling them at all will affect them, and what it means for them. And so I tend to, I find with myself sometimes, when it comes to hookup or guys that I'm seeing, I'm so scared to bring these two worlds together. I'm terrified to bring these two worlds, to merge them together. It scares the absolute shit out of me. And I guess in some way you can say that that's internalized ableism. It's something that I just, and I work through it. I mean, I, I do it all the time and I just work through. But I deep inside, the idea of these two elements of my life coming together, where my lover and my attendant will meet each other or see each other, for some reason, it makes me cringe. I don't understand why. I couldn't tell you why. But it's something that I always, always feel when I have to confront the fact that my attendant might see my lover or my or vice versa. So much so that when I was younger and when I had boys in my bed, I would wake up early, make the boy leave before my attendant got there because I was just mortified that my attendant would would be there to understand the fact that I had had sex and it just I couldn't. It made me just no. There was something inside of me that said these two worlds have to stay apart no matter what you do. And that voice is still very prevalent sometimes. I think this is because you learn as a young person inherently that people with disabilities don't have sexuality and aren't sexual. And especially when it comes to care, the first time you receive care from somebody, you're, you understand intrinsically, kind of like it's inextricably linked to your understanding of yourself, that this is care, there's nothing... This is care. This is how your body is going to be seen. This is how your body is going to be understood. And therefore, that whether you realize it or not, that understanding of the disabled body seeps into your understanding of yourself. And it may not. It may lie dormant for a long time, but then when the opportunity strikes for you to engage in sexuality or have sexuality become a part of your care needs or all, all these things, um, and when I say care needs, I don't mean you having sex with your attendant, although, believe me, there have been times in my experiences with certain attendants that I really wanted to cross that boundary but never did. That's a whole other episode on itself. What I mean is when you have to say to 
your care worker that like, hey, I'm I'm gonna be having sex tonight. There's something inside. Maybe it's just me, but there's something inside that just says, nope, I cannot connect you to this. I think it's the way we are taught, all of us, whether we're disabled or not, to understand disability and the disabled body and care. So I want to share a little story with you of something that happened to me recently around my care and around my sexuality, and I want to kind of discuss that with you now. I think it's an important kind of story that illuminates all of the things that I'm talking about and this very, very real fear of discussing sexuality with your care workers. So recently I moved into a new development. I moved into the city recently and I moved into a new place and I was so, so excited to get downtown. And I, all I could think about was how great me being downtown would be and how important it was and I couldn't wait to move. And I was, I'm so, so excited to be where I am. I love that I'm in the center of the city. I'm right where I want to be. I can go out if I want to. I can stay home on Netflix and chill way easier if I, if I wanted to. I'm exactly where I want to be. It's a great spot. So I did all the moving stuff and I was getting ready to move and moving was, you know, a part of a part of the whole deal and so but when you move to from a from a an assisted living supported housing unit, which is where I, where I live now and where I came from, one of the other things you have to consider as a disabled person is that your care is going to be changing. Your care is going to be changing entirely. And I remember I remember when I thought about moving that was one of the first things I worried about. Who am? Who's going to get me up? Who's going to wipe my ass? Who's going to be my care collective of individuals that I'll be working with? And I was very, very concerned about making a good impression when I first met them. I wanted to make a good impression because these are people that I'll be seeing every day, day in, day out, and they'll be people that I'll be interacting with quite intimately every single day. And so I decided that this was my chance to make a new impression and start fresh and I wanted them to know me and know who I was and get involved in my life a little bit so that it could feel very relaxed and not so restricted in how the care was performed. I remember a couple weeks after I moved in, not even like a week, a couple days probably actually, I was having lunch with some of the new care staff and we're sitting there in my, in my new house and we're having they're making me food, I'm telling them what to do, we're joking at the weather. We're trying to find our footing with each other. We're trying to find a place where we can build a rapport with one another uh, to build this relationship, this working relationship we'll have with each other. And I remember there were two attendants there, because it, it was a lull time in the summer before everybody had moved in. So um, there were two attendants there, and we were having dinner, or lunch, lunch actually, it was lunch. We are having lunch, and they... We're joking around, we're talking, and then one of the attendants says to me, well, so what about the girls? We have to get you a girlfriend. And I remember freezing, just freezing, and this happened before, I froze, where all of a sudden my queer identity was this dirty, wrong thing that I couldn't own up to, and I just froze. I froze out of complete fear, and I kind of smiled sheepishly and put my head down and said, Oh, uh, no, man, no girlfriend, not, I'm, I'm single, no big deal. <laughs> and I kind of like awkwardly laughed it off. But I felt that pang of shame again. I felt really, really ashamed of what I just did for two reasons now. Why had I hidden myself from these people? And why had I not told the truth? And secondly, again, that voice that was urging me to protect this and to protect myself came into play. And this kind of thing over the lunch hour would happen 
it, it happened not frequently, but they would ask, like, oh, you're going to go see a girl, you're going to go meet some girls, and you're a handsome guy, we've got to find you some girls. It was just playful, and I understand that it was them trying to build rapport. They were trying to find an inn, they were trying to be respectful, but also be friendly, because it's hard when you're dealing with somebody for a whole hour and you don't have conversation. Believe me, I've been in that situation on the other end where you want to talk to the attendant and they don't. They don't give you anything to go on, so you feel super awkward the whole time. And you just end up sitting in silence while they feed you. It's super uncomfortable, and it's not something that I would wish on anybody. It's really so not fun. So I, so I understood why they were doing it and what it was for. It was their attempt to build rapport. What struck me was that I could not, every single time, I was, again, stopped at, with the need to not talk about it, deflect change the subject. I couldn't bring myself to simply say, hey, I'm queer, um, so no girls but boys, thanks. Or girls and boys, depending on what my orientation was. I'm definitely queer, as in I like boys, but I could definitely say, like, hey, I'm queer and I like girls and boys and not have to tell them. But anyway, the point is, and that's a kind of a rambling point that didn't really matter there, but I'm saying is that I should have been honest and said, hey, I'm queer, this is my reality. But I just couldn't, and I was just mortified to do so. And this happened again and again and again and again. And then, then there was one instance where I had decided to put a stop to it. It finally happened about three weeks ago. And I remember this crystal clear. I was with the attendant, it was my morning booking, and I'm a groggy bitch in the morning. Everybody needs to understand that I am not somebody you want to come across when I wake up. I'm not a happy-go-lucky, birds-chirping sing-songy kind of dude. I am very much like, why are you rousing me out of my bed? Don't speak to me. No, 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 no. This is not happening. This I cannot be getting up right now. I hate the idea that I have to actually get out of my warm, comfy bed and care about this person. And I think anybody who's received care will tell you that waking up in the morning to, to somebody who, while they are your attendant, they are also in another way a stranger. It's very awkward to have to wake up at whatever time you get up, and you have to be on point the minute you get up till until they leave. Your booking could take, my booking takes 90 minutes. Your booking could take an hour, two hours, two and a half hours sometimes, and you have to be the one to direct them every single time and tell them exactly what they are to do. And that's fair, and I get that, but sometimes in the morning, you just don't want to do that. So that's the kind of mindset that I was in when this was happening, okay? I was not wanting to be toyed with that morning. I just was like, nope, not doing it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my job, do what I have to do. But I'm not super excited about being here in this in this thing with you. I don't want to really want, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this right now. This was not something that I was ready to do. And that's just me typically every morning. So any boys who are willing to stay over, you better uh, be ready to soothe my, to soothe my anger because I can be a bit of a bitchy ball in the morning. But if you Rub me the right way. Yes, pun intended. I will. I might be happier. Take note. Um, but, so, this is the mindset I was in. I'm sitting in the commode chair. I am fully naked, okay? I'm naked, which I'll let that visual sink in for a minute. It's pretty tasty, I know. But, I, I'm, I'm naked in the commode chair. I'm having a shower, and the attendant and I are talking. We're, we're being jovial, and we're making jokes with one another. We're playing, right? And he says to me, well, come on, we got to shave your face. And I said, no, no, I don't want to shave today. I like my scruffy beard. It looks really good. I'm not going to shave today. But he was like, no, no, come on. I'll shave you and I'll make you look pretty and smell, smell good for the girls. 
and I let it go for a second. I didn't, I didn't stop, and he continued on. He pestered the point and was like, come on, I have to make you look handsome for the girls to get you some numbers, to get you a girlfriend, and he continued and peppered the, the shower with this kind of discussion, and finally, he did it one more time. He was like, come on, got to get you a girlfriend. We got to do this. And I stopped. I looked down at myself. I took a deep breath and I said, nope, not the girls, the boys. And there was this weird pause after I said the boys where I was waiting for something to happen, but I didn't quite know what it was. I was like, oh my God, is he going to leave? I just came out to him and I was very forceful about it. Like I wasn't like, oh, I'm queer. <laughs> cool. I was like, no, if we're going to get me dressed up for anybody, it's going to be boys. And I remember he stopped and looked at me. And again, remember, I'm totally naked. I'm totally in the most vulnerable position there was to be in ever. Okay. And he looked at me and he goes, what did you say? And I said, if you're going to get me dressed up for anybody, it's going to be the boys. He paused again and looked at me a little bit dead in the eye, like dead straight in the face and said, no, you can't possibly be gay. You're not one of them. You're joking, right? And I said, no, I'm not joking. I'm totally queer. Now, I was proud of myself in this moment because I stood my ground here and I told him the truth. He seemed okay with it, but I did notice that during the rest of the wake-up, he was a little bit off. He was a little bit uncomfortable. We didn't speak so much anymore. It was like he was trying to process what would happen. And the whole time, I was, I was concerned that he might leave during my booking and leave me in a spot that I couldn't get out of. And I, was, I didn't really think that would happen, but there was something in the back of my mind that was like, you just fucked up the boundary entirely. Why did you tell him this? You should have just kept the charade going. And the other part of me was like, yeah, good for you. You told them, good for you. You've told the truth. Good for you. So it was a very weird feeling. And I think people who, who have to come out about their sexuality, not just their, again, not just their queerness, but admitting to the staff members that they have a sex life and being open about that. I think as open and as vocal as we are in our lives about this, and many of us are, quite vocal in talking about this, but I think when it comes to care, there's something that just that just shuts off and it's scary to bring that to light. And I, in this moment with this guy in the shower, my dick's hanging out, I'm in the commode chair, I'm ready to be to be dried and dressed, and I just thought, what if he decides at any point to leave? What if he decides this is not for him? What if he decides he can't take care of me anymore? Because he when he when he asked me if I if my if I was joking I just thought, why would you think that's a joke? And it was fine, and I didn't, I didn't call him on it, because again, I wanted to protect myself. So I didn't call him on it, but I did feel very, very uncomfortable and proud all at the same time. It was a really weird, I can't even describe the feeling, it was just very strange. It was again in the pit of my stomach. I felt so uncomfortable, but also like, good for you. You, you did the right thing. You didn't hide from this one, you told the truth. And that's okay, and it's okay to be who you are. And that's kind of the mantra that was going through my head as all this was happening. Alongside, oh my God, is he going to leave me here? What do I do? I've, I've just told him that I'm queer. What, what, what do I do? And so nothing really drastic happened. The care happened. He left, and we moved on. And we still joke and, and talk about stuff today. But I, I will note that his discussion of who I should be 
making myself pretty for has diminished. We don't talk about that so much anymore. And I guess that's the boundary he set up. But I feel like part of me does feel like I somehow let him down and I took away a chance for us to connect as a tenant and, and client together. And so it's a weird feeling like even though we don't talk about it and even though he's fully respectful of my of what I said, I think, I think him not discussing it is somewhat problematic. So then there's the other side of it where it's like, what if they talk about it too much? And I've also experienced that where the intendant finds out about my sexuality or my sexual proclivities, if you will, and that's something they want to constantly engage about and constantly talk about. And that's something where I have had experiences where that's all we talk about. You kind of want to be like, wait a minute, there's more to me than just who I'm fucking. And I'm glad that you're all liberal about what I'm doing and you want to share in that experience with me in some small way. But I'd also like you to see that there's more to me than that. And that's a, it's okay to see that side. And sometimes I don't want to talk to you about my sex life and what's going on. And I don't need to bring that up. And so it's a really weird, but you, then you feel like if you don't bring it up with them and you keep that from them, it's going to, it's going to ruin the rapport. It's a really weird balance. And I've said that I've said it's really weird a lot recently in this podcast, but it does bring up a lot of strange feelings when we try to engage sex and disability with attending care. And it's such a fascinating conversation. This is not the only episode of the podcast that I will be bringing up this conversation and bringing up facets of this conversation because it's a multifaceted, multi-nodulated, I don't know if nodulated is the right word there, but I like it, so I'm going to keep saying it. It's a multi-nodulated discussion, and I think we should keep talking about it. But overall, there needs to be a wider discussion happening within care support systems for both the attendant to understand that people with disabilities are sexual and do have sexualities, but also there needs to be support for the person with disabilities to discuss the anxiety they have about discussing their sexuality with the care workers. And I don't quite know if we're there, if we're at that place where those supports are in place just yet. They certainly need to be, and we need to find a way to do that where we can have open and honest conversations with care and and the clients and consumers about their sex lives so that when they're in their homes, they can feel free to be as expressive or not expressive as they choose to without feeling like they're going to damage some relationship. And we also need to make sure that the attendants are comfortable with what they're doing, what they're being asked to do, and the clear boundaries are set so that everybody feels respected and cared for. But most importantly, so that the sexualities of people with disabilities do not get diminished, hidden, or removed entirely because of the care structure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner.